The Startup to Scale-Up Game Plan is brought to you by Alpina Search, Europe's premier talent search firm, dedicated to helping technology startups and scale-ups recruit high-impact executives. Now over to your host, Gary Riemann. Emil Gigov is a partner at Albion Capital. He's been in VC for about two decades. He's been involved in around 30 early stage and growth investments covering software, IT services, but also some other sectors, which we'll get into a bit later, healthcare and education. Emil also passionately supports ESG investing and that's something I'm very keen to explore, especially after the health, political and environmental upheavals of, uh, of recent years. So, uh, Emil, a very warm welcome to the uh, Startup Scale-Up Game Plan. Very delighted to be here with you and have this conversation. Really excited about what we're going to speak. So uh, tell us a little about your background. After an early career at KPMG, why did you switch to the world of venture capital? I qualified as an accountant with KPMG back in the late um, late 90s, something I don't mention very often to my friends, and moved <laughs> on to uh, to work in the corporate finance team as, as soon as I could, um, mostly working with media companies, actually, and leisure companies in the day. I spent about three and a half years there and realized that as an advisor, I'm having lots of fun, but what I was really interested in was actually seeing how companies grow, how companies develop. And as an advisor, I wasn't getting enough of a look in into these opportunities. So I then decided that the uh, the thing that I really wanted to do was actually work with younger companies in a VC capacity. Back in the in the late nineties, very early two thousands, there weren't a huge amount of opportunities in the UK to do that. I joined what was the venture capital team of a British merchant bank called Close Brothers. That's what I actually joined, and over time we did a buyout and set up Albion VC. So the same team has been working together for about 20 years, some of us now originally as part of Close Brothers and laterally as uh, uh, in our own business, Albion VC. And during those 20 exciting years, how has the European VC ecosystem evolved? So it's evolved massively. Back in the, uh, when I joined in 2000, this was immediately after the dot-com bust. A lot of people who work in VC today probably don't remember the dot-com past. And those were very interesting times, actually, for technology. And it was interesting because we were investing in all kinds of sectors, but we also started investing in technology in 2001 because we saw that there's very few people who did that. And there were some very interesting businesses that were starting to be built. One of our early investments was in what became Booking.com, which is obviously a company everybody's aware of. That was an amazing investment. We only invested a small amount of money, but we, we we had a massive multiple on it. So that gave us the confidence that this is a sector that we want to grow into. And over time, as we've been, we've been doing this, we've seen a lot more people come in. And obviously, success breeds success. So we've seen a lot more people come in at every stage of investment from pre-seed to seed to Series A, which is where we're most active at, and growth investments behind that. The number of funds and the, the level of investments has grown massively over the last 10 years particularly. And besides tech startups like Freezy and Zift, you've invested in some seemingly disparate sectors like care homes and schools. How do you handle such a diverse portfolio? And, and what's the thinking behind your education and healthcare investments? 
We invest behind long-term themes and long-term trends. Technology is one of those. We are aware of that, how technology is changing lives. The other two themes that we are backing very, very actively around healthcare and specifically the changes in demographics in Western society. This is where care homes come in. And obviously education. I think education across a whole spectrum of things from schools to technology around education and all other kind of businesses that are in that space, not just in the Western world, but in, in, in the developing world as well. So we think that these are three themes that we will endure for the next 10, 15, 20 years plus. And as long-term investors, we are very happy to back those. Now, from a personal perspective, from a personal perspective, I think makes life it makes life a lot more interesting because our principal, our principal interest and our principal kind of excitement around being involved with younger businesses and help them grow. And you can do that across a variety of sectors. And actually, there's a lot of things we see in healthcare that we can then use in terms of knowledge and experience to help younger tech founders grow their businesses. A lot of the people around building teams, around building effective teams, onboarding people, working with people, you know, are valid irrespective of the sector you invest in. That's interesting that you can kind of cross-pollinate ideas and it sounds as if it also keeps you fresh uh, rather than than taking your focus away, it freshens you up with new ideas, which is great. Now, Frazy is one of the interesting companies you've invested in and they promote ROE, return on ethics. Uh, Are you seeing other startups emphasize their ESG credentials when, when they're pitching you with their decks? And has that changed over the last 12 months or so? Yeah, we're seeing a lot more awareness and passion about ESG issues across all kinds of businesses. It's becoming more of a theme. And I think it's driven, it's driven by a number of factors. I think what's happening in society more generally is affecting how people think about building businesses and, and, and the objectives they set themselves. I think it's also coming from some of the LP investors in the funds they're putting more and more pressure on fund managers like us to actually engage in ESG issues, start working with portfolio companies around ESG issues, and, and, and start originally monitoring, but also influencing how, how these businesses develop. So I think it's coming from a variety of directions, and therefore a lot of people are now putting this as, as a principal part of their kind of investment proposal. So when you're screening potential portfolio companies, what are some of the ESG criteria that you're prioritizing? We're looking very, very carefully at diversity and inclusion to start with. We are working very carefully and influencing corporate governance. And depending on the kind of businesses we're involved, whether they have environmental impact, we are assessing that very, very carefully as well. So it's probably to a certain degree less, less relevant in technology. Some of the other businesses we invest in could have significant environmental impact. So we look at how they, uh, what policies they've got in place and how they manage the issues around that. After you've invested in a company, how do you keep track of their progress on ESG? What tools, what metrics do you have for um, ensuring that they maintain the level of uh, ESG that you aspire to across your portfolio? So we are still kind of early stage in developing our toolbox of how we actually work with, uh, with investee companies, with portfolio companies to do that. One of the first things that we, we look for is actually to start tracking metrics. We start working with companies looking at you know, their diversity policies, their inclusion policies, whether they uh, you know, recruit properly from a big enough pool of people, 
we look at governance and whether you know the right people and the right voices have been heard at the board table as well as the senior management type table. So we 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 set originally quite simple metrics that would evolve over time. You know, it's a journey; it, it's not going to stop. But we start with simple metrics that founders particularly can buy into, and then progress over time into actually bringing this deeper into their organizations. And when we last spoke, you mentioned that creating the right culture in a startup is absolutely crucial. And making that culture scalable makes a real difference when portfolio companies look to raise a Series B. I'd love to hear more about this. Can you walk me through your thoughts on the way that culture impacts on growth and fundraising? And and how can you make culture scalable? So as I said, one of our biggest impacts on com- the companies we invest in is about how they scale up. We typically invest in Series A, post-product market fit to an extent, and we help them scale up very rapidly. And I look at organizations a little bit like a machine. You know, you, you have certain objectives that you want to get out of the machine at the back end, and you create processes and systems in place about how you're going to get there over time. The one complication in organizations, which is unlike a machine, is that you have the people factor. And people are all about leadership, about motivation, about culture, about inclusion, about getting as broader a view on, 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 the, on the issues you're facing as, as you can. So the culture and people processes are absolutely critical to actually making sure you can design an organization that scales. We Very early on in the investment process, we use our own experience, but also the experience of experts. And we've recently recruited a head of talent into Albion VC who does a lot of that work with our investment team to basically understand how the founders in particular are approaching the issues of leadership, of diversity, of inclusion, of motivation and engagement within their organization. And we find where the gaps are, and we then work with them to address how those are filled in. And it starts really starts with the senior C-level team, bringing in the right people with the right mindset and the right experience to the C-level team so that they can then build the rest of the organization underneath them. And I guess since the typical VC model is that you co-invest with other VCs, so are you therefore choosing co-investors who are aligned with you in terms of their philosophy on culture and ESG, because presumably if they're not aligned and you start leaning on the portfolio companies, that could lead to some conflict between the investors. Potentially, yes, but I think we're pushing against an open door actually here in many cases. I think firstly, the founders are are, are very keen to to get help in these respects and and understand and benefit from our experience. I think other co-investors VCs also see the need for this. But as I mentioned earlier, some of this pressure comes from their own investors. So the ability for them to be able to say to their own LPs that their portfolio companies are engaged in these kind of activities, actively discussing them and actively addressing them, is a very strong argument when they go and report back to their own LPs. We have never encountered a situation where we think that you know we need to put some some measures in place, put some activities forward, and and we found resistance from other investors on on what we're doing. What do you see as the major challenges for the UK VC sector in a post-pandemic, post-Brexit world? I think one of the major challenges is 
for the VC sector to actually be able to communicate the very important role that it plays in bringing back growth to the economy. I think the wider population and people who are not intimately involved with it don't understand the uh, very vital role that VC investment plays into the companies that have been grown, the companies that have been founded, and how they develop. I think it's a, it's a communication challenge because the VC sector doesn't always speak with one voice. I think it's a challenge that uh, you know we've had for some time, but it will be uh, it will be a bigger challenge going forward given the economic situation. Tell me about the one that got away, the company that pitched for investment that you really wanted to get involved in, and for some reason you didn't actually participate in the funding round. And you look back on that and the growth they've had since. And yeah, it's it's one of your lasting regrets. So who's the one that got away? No single company names come to mind, but I know that we've missed on, on a few. I know that we've missed on a few. And we've missed on a few typically because they were too early stage for us at the time when they came looking for funding. And by the time they had enough proof points for us to invest in, you know, they scaled so quickly and generated so much interest from bigger funders that, uh, you know, we were left sitting on the sidelines. So these things, this thing happens in investment. You never get them all. What about the craziest investment pitch you've ever experienced? The one that made you chuckle or the one that made you put your hand up in horror and dismay? Um, I'm not expecting you to name names. Or be, I'd be delighted if you would. But what's a, a memorable pitch, not because it was high quality, but because it was absurd or the whole situation was was funny or crazy? We see those every now and then as every other BC sees them. These are typically pitches where somebody comes really excited about some serious technicality that they've addressed and developed without actually understanding how it fits within the, within the bigger picture. Most of the VCs, ourselves included, in the first couple of meetings want to one answers the pretty simple questions around the size of problems that is being addressed, how it's being addressed. And, and we want to be able to hear this explained in simple terms. And we often get founders, especially technical founders, who dig into so much details that you know, they just lose you in the first five minutes. Yep, I've come across a few people like that over the years. Yeah. <laughs> and, and frankly, it's, it's inexcusable given how much has been written and how much information there is about how you construct the pitch for an investor. I agree. And sometimes, you know, from my from where I sit, I'll uh, speak to you know, a CEO about their hiring needs and they're looking to hire someone at executive level, but they'll do the same thing. They won't really be able to talk about what's unique or different about the solution. They'll just dive straight into the detail and I'm thinking it's going to be fun trying to pitch candidates with this. So I think it's a sim- similar sort of challenge. Anyway, Emil, thank you so much for joining me on today's show early in 2021. Wishing you and your portfolio an awesome year. Likewise, Gary. Thanks very much for inviting me. This episode of the Startup to Scale Up Game Plan was brought to you by Alpina Search. Head over to www.alpinasearch.com for advice on scaling your technology startup and recruiting high-impact senior talent.